0: You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Kevin, do you know the irony of this morning? Ah,
1: boy, I don't know. Final day of July.
0: The irony of this morning is I woke up to come here to Colts Camp, which is where we are in Grand Park, and it is a gorgeous morning. God, it feels great. And it is totally comfortable. And then I thought about it, and I thought, the, the temperature and the environment and the humidity and everything is totally comfortable, and yet, is that how you would describe right now the situation at Colts Camp?
1: You know, I almost walked out to the 50-yard line and thought to myself, is there like a little sands through the, through the hourglass? <laughs> These are the days of our lives, right? A whole lot to get through on the Jonathan Taylor front, but to lead things off... If Isaiah McKenzie is ready, we will more than happily lead off the show with him. Jake, we have had a lot of guests in our two-year history. We have not had a lot of guests willing to come on this dog and pony show at one in the morning. Did Isaiah McKenzie draw kind of the short end was of the that, stick here?
0: Do you think that was part of the deal when you're new to a franchise? They're like, hey, you're the guy that has to do the interviews at 7 o'clock uh, in the morning.
1: First day of full pads, and you've got to go on this radio show here at 7 a.m. Isaiah, good morning, and thank you. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Now,
2: is this typical for you? well waking up early
1: uh yeah. yeah up and up and at them i mean is yeah, that I always been
0: Obviously, in camp i get it but has that <laughs> always been your your go-to
2: um i was up at 5 11 this morning so i was ready to go five at 5 what yeah. time did you go to bed uh 12
1: okay so five hours sleep well, What what uh, have you been doing since five eleven? if you don't mind me asking
2: uh tiktok instagram okay um, scrolling a little just laying down, waiting to, this great way for the interview <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: what is full pads like for you I mean I know it's probably a little bit more for the for the trench guys yeah. but like does the energy level rise at all is this more like okay true evaluation one-on-ones things like that
2: um I like to say I like to get more aggressive with the pads on. You know, when it's just helmets and stuff like that, I mean, I can't really do much when it comes to the run game, just blocking and stuff like that. But I get to be more aggressive, get to block more, get to try to run big big dudes over, even though I'm 5'7". But um, I just it's more aggressive for everybody, actually. But we, I feel like I can get more aggressive.
0: This is stop number three for you, right, in terms of your professional career. Am I yes. right in that? Yes. So, you know, here you are. You're, you sign in the offseason. You come here. When, you, like if, when you're sitting on the airplane and you're on your way to Indianapolis and somebody says, oh, you play for the Colts, that's cool. What position do you play? Do you say, I'm a returner or I'm a receiver? Receiver. Okay. So, But returner is going to be uh, – I mean, I think a lot of people – and, of course, we're not on the field in pads, right? The outside perception is that one of the big roles that you will have here will also be as a returner. Do yeah. you also see it that way? Yes. Now, is there a – take me through that – that kind of a mentality I guess because I think personally to be a returner you have to be a little bit crazy
2: yeah you. I, a lot of people say that and I, I feel like you have to just be fearless and as, especially as a part returner as a part returner the ball's in the air 11 guys coming downfield on you and it's a little different than a kick return you know the ball comes different and um, I mean you can fair catch if you want but you always want to return it as a part returner and on kick return it's just like it's pretty deadly everybody coming at full speed so I feel like most special teams you got to be somewhat just crazy in the mind so yeah you're right I, i've obviously got crazy some crazy in the mind
1: don't you love that phrase <laughs> that's, the, that, that's the scri- <laughs> like getting up at five eleven in the morning right Sure. sure.
0: now uh, we've got legitimate questions here but i do have one other question about punt returning because i've always been fascinated by yeah. this when you're when you're back the ball's in the air uh-huh. you know you've got to look at the ball then you're looking to see what where the rush is coming you know what i mean back and forth mm-hmm. How much of that goes just in your head of being able to time whether or not you need to fair catch it? Or how soon before the ball gets to you, do you take your last glance at the defense coming?
2: Um, I would say as soon as it comes off the foot, you can kind of tell... The way it comes off the foot, if the ball's turning over or if, or if the ball doesn't turn over. So I'll give you a little, in case you want to be a returner in the backyard. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they punt, uh, with the right-front of punter, if the ball turns over, it's, it's going long left, so you're long left to your left shoulder. And then if it doesn't turn, up, turn over, it's going short right to your right shoulder. Huh. And I had to learn that over the years of playing, you know, playing football. and um, So it's kind of easy when you see it in the air. As soon as it comes off the foot, you'll be like, oh, it's turning over. It's going deep and it's going long left. And if it's not, it's going short. So with the deep long left, I I get to peek a little bit and then see where everybody is and then make my decision from there. But other than that, if it's short, I'm already fair catching.
0: Okay, so you know know pretty quickly whether or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, This is educational. It is. (laughs) Um, I'm also curious of this, and this is a natural – Probably obvious question and, and I realize Isaiah it might be too early for you to formulate an answer <laughs> but you are coming from Buffalo where you played with Josh Allen who is yeah. obviously a big athletic quarterback that had to kind of grow into the position mm-hmm. Indianapolis has similar to that now uh-huh. can you take me through your initial feelings on Anthony Richardson and observations and are there any similarities there at all
2: uh, yeah uh, size and arm strength—I'll put it uh, to start with—when uh, it comes to similarities. Um, for the most part, the last three days he's been—he's been—he's been awesome. Um, I would say this: when I got in when we got into OTAs and he got to the facility and everything, I didn't know how you know things would go. And um, but slowly but surely, he was learning the playbook. He was getting there, controlling the offense, and um, throwing the ball well. But these last three days, he's been—he's been. He's been it's it's been night and day it's been awesome and um i'm i'm just excited to see where his career goes from here but for the most part he's been phenomenal and i hope he keeps doing that and help the coach win some games
1: yeah he had some throws saturday night that look like some throws you yeah. sunday afternoon to <laughs> say the least again isaiah mckenzie's with us here new colts wide receiver return man as well um Why do you think you were let go in Buffalo? Because clearly you've been there for several years, Uh and you're a unique piece to any offense. I've said it when you signed here. The Colts really haven't had a player like you, I think, in quite some time. So why do you think it didn't work out there?
2: Um... I feel like my time was up there. You know, I, I I was saying it this morning. Like, I've grown with that organization from 2018 to, like, just last year. And um, they gave me every opportunity to be successful. And um, I had a great time there. Um, for me, I just feel like it was my time to go. And they probably also felt the same way. And it was like, okay, cool. That's, that, that was fine with me and that was fine with them. And we went our different ways. You know, even though I felt like when I left, well, when things went down, where, whereas they find, signed Deontay Hardy, and then I found out about it later on. It was like, it, kinda, it was kind of a sad feeling for me. It was like, okay, well, I know where this is going. So, I just took it on the chin and went the other way.
1: Now, it's three days of practice so far, but when I watch you out here in team sessions, I'm like, what, where is he? Because I always <laughs> feel like that you're moving around, you're in motion, you're doing this, sometimes you're in the backfield, sometimes you're lining up. How would you describe how Shane Steichen is utilizing you? So
2: um... Being versatile, I'm in the backfield sometimes. I'm motioning around, running option routes, running overs. Uh, Any, I feel like he's he's done a great job with the slots. Not just me, but Josh Downs as well. Um, and I feel like we're going to grow with the offense and help the coach win some games.
0: He, he Shane Steichen seems to be the kind of guy. It, your style of play, Isaiah McKenzie, perfectly fits. One would think what Shane Steichen likes to do if you look historically is that a fair statement like were you were you excited at the opportunity to be a wrinkle in his offense and kind of be like Kevin was mentioning maybe that like little secret weapon in his offense
2: oh for sure um we watched the the Eagles last year uh, with Devontae Smith and how he ran option routes and things like that and the way he was getting him the ball um also even with the Chargers where um uh keenan allen yeah he was running the option i was getting him the ball in every which way in every which form um but i feel like all the guys are getting meshed in the offense you know slowly but surely not just myself but pitt alec pierce jd um mo mo alley cox and i feel like he's he's done a great job with all of us but um i'm excited for what's to come
0: i know you weren't on the roster last year so you probably don't know i mean you guys all know each other but yeah. you don't know them you know yeah. what i mean um any time that you have a marquee player that you assumed was going to be a big piece that is now involved in, and I know that you guys all understand the business of it, uh-huh. but is the Jonathan Taylor situation have potential to be a distraction for this team?
2: Um, like you said, I was here last year, but I mean... I don't think so. I think everybody's going in the right path. I think everybody's doing what they need to, you know, do. And JT's doing what he needs to do. And I mean, I feel like he'll handle that, and they'll handle that. I'm at this point. I'm just here to play football, and whatever comes. If I mean, I would, I would love to play with him. We're just watching him, you know, over the years and him playing against me in Buffalo. Um, I would love to play with him, but you know, at this point, that's between him and the owner and the organization. Do you guys talk about it behind the scenes, like player-wise? Uh, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't really know much about it. I mean, obviously, I see the headlines and stuff like that. But other, Yeah, other you're than watching that,
1: TikTok at 5A.
2: <laughs> but other than, other than that, I, I don't speak much on it.
1: Okay. Now, speaking of TikTok, I can't imagine your position coach <laughs> is a huge fan of, of, of TikTok. Reggie Wayne has always struck me as a pretty old soul, even though age-wise, he's probably one of the younger assistants. I don't know. I guess your whole uh, offensive staff is pretty young. Uh, what would you say the experience has been like, albeit five months in, of being coached by Reggie Wayne?
2: Um, it's been awesome. Yeah. You know, you know, he's teaching us things that he's he's grown, t- he grew to do in when he in his younger years. Um, him being in the league, he done he's done phenomenal things, a future Hall of Famer, and I just feel like um, there's more to come from him. You know, just. In camp, he's teaching us some things, but when the season comes, I think I'm pretty sure there's more things he's going to teach us—coverage-wise, team, other teams-wise, uh, player-wise, and things like that. So I'm excited to see where, he, you know, where we go from here.
0: I want to go back to something that you said about Anthony Richardson. Uh-huh. Um, tell me if I heard it incorrectly, but. Basically, what I was hearing you say was, hey, listen, this guy's made great strides, and it's very encouraging. And he's a young player, yeah. so that's going to happen. But that the inconsistencies early on were definitely there. And that maybe in OTAs, you were thinking like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> uh, did I overread that?
2: Uh, no. You know, we just... I mean, I, I feel like as a young guy, you're gonna learn. You're gonna learn from mistakes and things like that. And I mean, everybody goes through them. And as a fourth pick in the draft, you expect you expect a lot of things from him. But I kept it realistic with myself, like, hey, he's gonna come in. He's not gonna be the best quarterback in the league on day one or three weeks in of OTAs. I'm not expecting that. And but now he's it's, like I said, it's night and day. Like, he's coming out here and he's balling. Well,
0: what is the biggest difference? from the college level other than the windows collapsing right in terms of the amount of time that a quarterback has to throw what would you say is the biggest thing that he has to learn and how do you as a receiver with your experience help him through that
2: um, I would say for me, first part. I would say for me to help him with that is to get open. You know, create as much separation as I can to give him an easy throw. Um, other than that, for him, it's just like, hey, put the touch, putting the touch on the ball when you can, knowing when you can fit it in a window, knowing when you just take the check down, and knowing that you know sometimes things may not may not be open and it's okay. Just don't make a bad decision with the football because at the end of the day we wanna win football games as Colts and he's gonna be the last person with the football and the, the person to make the decision with the football most of the time. Again, the debut
1: of full pads coming up here at 10 a.m. I know a morning lift on the schedule for Isaiah McKenzie. Jake, 47 career carries. Maybe he'll get some running back touches. <laughs> I'm even telling more you. Even coming up this season. Isaiah, welcome to Indy. Um, thank you for joining us here early on this Monday morning. Uh, stay healthy this year and appreciate the time. Appreciate you, Bart. Appreciate you guys for having me. Definitely. Isaiah McKenzie right there What You know, here. he
0: sat there and stared at the back of my computer as a Georgia guy at the Clemson talk. Didn't say a single <laughs> thing about
1: it. You I realize that? That's impressive. That's a sign of maturity. I don't think you would have had, had you. That's right. Had you.
2: I will say, my freshman year, we did. We uh, did we lose? No, we beat them. Actually, it was a, my my first game. It was a night game at Georgia, and it was against Clemson. Deshaun I remember Nelson. that. Yeah, we won. Uh, Todd Gurley. Had a great game.
1: Hot early. there's a name. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, Isaiah, thank you, man. Thank Pre- you. Appreciate you guys appreciate for having me. Again, Isaiah McKenzie here. Practice number four for the Colts will begin about 10 a.m. Uh, again, Jake, the first session in full pads. Uh, they will practice Tuesday and Thursday this week. Night practice coming up on Saturday. An afternoon one on Sunday. This is by far the busiest week of camp. And lo and behold, you've got a preseason opener a week from Saturday. And – Kevin, the the question
0: is going to be this. As you'd mentioned, there's plenty going on here. There's a lot of work to do. There are a lot of players here like Isaiah McKenzie to mesh in. And, you know, it's new to everybody because you have a new head coach. But the big story without question is that of over the weekend with the Jonathan Taylor situation and what seems to be new storylines and new wrinkles that come out about this each and every day. The latest being last night that, according to Mike Chappell, the the Colts could contemplate putting uh, Jonathan Taylor on the non-football injury list because Taylor, during his physical, complained of back pain. This is all alleged, I guess, Um, that took place after workouts Away from team in Arizona, Taylor is disputing that, saying that that is not an accurate statement, and that he has never had any back pain whatsoever. But multiple people are reporting that sources close to them within the Colts are saying that that was the case. What I find interesting about it is, if Taylor, in fact, actually failed his physical when he showed up here, um, and I, you know, Chris Ballard, when he came out and and talked with the media, apparently around the time that Taylor was taking the physical, basically said these are the guys that that, you know the players that are on PUP at that time were the only that they had issue with maybe they didn't anticipate Taylor maybe he wasn't told yet about Taylor's situation or maybe he knew about it and simply didn't want to share. I, I don't know which that is but it does seem as though with all of this that's happening with Jonathan Taylor and the uncertainty that is coming like a groundswell, Kevin, that that tidal wave seems to also have caught to
1: an extent the Colts as kind of shell-shocked by all of it as anybody. You know, it's one of the more immature things um, that I can remember, ever. For the Colts, this whole thing. It's a seventh-grade relationship, Jake. It's being played out in front of all of us. Uh, Chris Ballard has been a staunch, staunch believer in supporting players like no other, not having things get aired in such a public manner. And, again, I'm not acting like Jonathan Taylor and his agent aren't at fault for this as well. Um, It is wild that in one week a guy on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium, one of your pillar players – this is what it's turned into. It, it, it's just—it's shocking that it has gotten to a situation that you know you're just waiting for like a Terrell Owens, Drew Rosenhaus. I'm doing sit-ups on my driveway, sort of scenario to play out here. To go back to your earlier point, Jake, about you know Taylor opening up on the pup list. If he complained of back pain at the physical and failed the physical, why didn't he go on the non-football injury list right away? Right. Why has he been on pup for a week? Uh, that does not add up to me. Well, one, you get paid, right? you get paid on on pup but again that right. that that could be a colts decision the colts could But say, what I'm hey, saying is should go on the is it possible
0: injuries? Kevin that the but is it possible the colts in the beginning said we'll put you on pup because that way you'll still get paid then once he started playing hardball they said fine we'll put you on non-football injury and you won't get paid gosh there's going to be lawyers aren't, aren't there uh, But if he is the one that said, hey, if he
1: opened that door with the back pain comment, which, you know, who knows, right? Which, which, again, he is saying he did not. Correct. Taylor tweeted last night, never reported back pain, never had a back pain, not sure who your sources are, but find new ones. Here's my thing. The creation
0: of the drama is on Jonathan Taylor and his agent. But but when I say Jonathan Taylor, I mean those representing Jonathan Taylor, everything else. I mean, he's obviously the, the, the one that can make the final say. But the creation of this drama is on Jonathan Taylor and his agent. Jonathan Taylor and his agent are total fools if they think that, that there is any way, shape, or form that this is the time to try to create leverage for yourself in some sort of an open free market at getting paid as a running back and asking for $16 million. Saquon Barkley, who's a better player than Jonathan Taylor, and Jonathan Taylor is a great football player. Saquon Barkley's a better football player. Saquon Barkley got $11 million. Jonathan Taylor and his representatives have come out and decided that, you know what, we want to get paid, and if you're not going to pay us, we'll find somebody that does. Good luck. There are two running backs right now that are just sitting reading TikTok at 5 o'clock in the morning and don't have to go to camp today anywhere, that any franchise in the National Football League right now can go out and sign. You can go out and you can get Cook, you can go out and you can get Elliott, whatever it might be, and there you go. And you don't have to give up assets to get it. There is no leverage here for Jonathan Taylor. None. Zero. (whistles) Nothing. Right? And, And yet, so the creation of the drama of all of that to keep the Colts surprised by this is all on Jonathan Taylor and his representatives. But the reaction is on the Colts. The, the way that the Colts have responded and reacted to this and made it public and drawn it out, that is on the Colts. So both sides are, are at fault here to a great extent. And I'm sorry, I, you know, I had said last week, you know, in the end he's probably going to end up playing and having a great year and everybody will love him and everything's all, all that's forgotten. I don't know now that that's the case. But the Colts are going to – the Colts knew going into this year, Kevin, this year was never about wins for the Colts. This year was about one thing for the Indianapolis Colts, one thing. And that was the development of Anthony Richardson. That's it. It's about the development of Anthony Richardson. Now, do they need Jonathan Taylor to help that develop? One would assume so. But what they need is some sort of just stability of a franchise for people to be able to look at it and say, this is the place that I want to go. This is the place that I want to play. And and, and let's be, you need Anthony Richardson to see an example of adults in the room. And right now, where are they?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite the first impression to send to Anthony Richardson. It's quite the first impression of support to send to Anthony Richardson when you're not willing to pay um, his, you know, by far, uh, the, the best offensive player, certainly the best skill player on this team. And I think you can separate this potential back injury, which, again, Taylor is disputing. It was clear in June before any sort of back injury might have arisen, that the Colts were not willing to pay Taylor. Taylor made that very clear. Taylor was not happy in June about the Colts stance on him. So before any sort of back issue potentially arose here, Taylor was not happy with that. To the Richardson point, Jake, that's where I think this falls into the category of this is disappointing. Because every single action that happens for the Colts this season, to your point, is not about wins and losses. It's about Richardson's development. And now this stunts that. In some way shape or form because you don't run out there a guy that actually is one of the few running backs in the league to where a defense has to have a little bit of fear or a little get a little bit of game plan for him as replaceable as a running back can be Zach Moss has had one game in his career Jake over 80 yards and that was the season finale last right. year Jonathan Taylor falls out of bed and, and gets that seemingly on a week weekend week out basis. To me, when I was here Saturday night, and we're talking 50 yards from here, and Jim Ursay's bus is right up there, backed up to that fence. I mean, again, 50 yards away from this north end zone. And all of a sudden, Taylor comes off that bus. Ursay does his little parade with $100 bills. He hands out to fans, and he comes over here, and he pa- parks his golf cart, and he gets out of his golf cart, and he makes it abundantly clear. That Jonathan Taylor is not going to be, or they haven't even thought of him, part of their future after this season. Taylor or Ursay talked such in the 2023 present in regards to Taylor. And at that point, Jake, he talked about Taylor playing this season and how he's going to have a great year. But again, it was all in the 2023 timeframe, never 2024. But he knew at that point Taylor had requested a trade. Sure. But at that point, I thought to myself, Jim, you're just admitting that Chris Ballard's blueprint is flawed. And it's failed this organization. Why draft Jonathan Taylor in 2020 if you're not going to pay him three years later? Why trade up for Jonathan Taylor in the 2020 draft? And you know what? Ursa was on that Zoom during covid and said to Chris Ballard, you love this guy, move up for him. So is at fault as well because he agreed with that. He urged Chris Ballard to go ahead and do that after they took Michael Pittman you know, but, some, some seven picks earlier. So now here you are drafting a player in the second round. When you take players in the second round of a draft, you are expecting and hoping they are going to be pillars for your organization for six, eight, ten years. And yet, because he plays running back, which again, I don't disagree with the overall thought, why draft him in the second round in the first place? Fair.
0: The one thing I would say to that, and I agree with that, Kevin, I think it's an excellent point. The one thing I would say to that is, is it possible, which I think it is, is it possible that at that time the Colts, it was beyond their wildest dream that When they drafted Jonathan Taylor, they did not, in any way, shape, or form, think that they were going to be in a position where three years later they were pairing him with a hopeful franchise-level quarterback because they were drafting the quarterback position within the top five organically in the NFL draft.
1: Forty years old. Understood. I mean, but I think they still
0: think that. But I think they still felt like I think their thought process was that Rivers was going to play more than a year and that they were going to be able to go out and get a solid. Placement free agent veteran that was immediately able to hit the ground running. I think they thought Carson Wentz was that guy, right? And so that once everything changed with Carson Wentz. The entire trajectory, blueprint, everything changed when Carson Wentz busted. At that point, and at that point, that's on Chris Ballard as well. I mean, the fact that Chris Ballard just kept trying to piecemeal the quarterback. It's the most important position in sports. And the Colts just kept going out onto Craigslist and trying to find a quarterback. Kudos to the Colts for finally saying, okay, we got to push in and get a guy and develop around him. But I think the blueprint changed when not once, really, but twice, the veteran quarterback they thought they could get more than a year out of went belly up.
1: Jim Ursay made it clear on Saturday night in, I believe, some audio messages. And by the way, Stephen Holder's going to join us at 9. He's been all over the story throughout. He's going to join us here live from Colts Camp. Ursay made it clear that they are not trading Jonathan Taylor. Um, that was his statement on Saturday. Uh, not going to trade him now. Not going to trade him in October. I assume the October reference is towards the trade deadline, which is usually at the end of October, uh, each and every season here. Um, I know that a public statement like that sounds good, and boy, we're going to... Dig our feet in the sand, and we're going to stand strong here, Jake. If he is not going to be a part of this football team moving forward, and you can get anything of substance for him, you what? Trade what are him you going to get though? In a heartbeat. That is a different question. I mean, a sixth rounder. That the, the, that is a different question. You know, obviously, Christian McCaffrey went for much richer than that. I think it's a different scenario in that McCaffrey had three years left on his contract when he was traded last year. McCaffrey also plays on third downs. You know, seemingly he doesn't have. I guess, and again, we don't know if the back injury is. Accurate or not, based off this back and forth, but if if he's not going to be a part of your organization, you're not in some mood where you can oh yeah, oh, yeah we're going to make a strong statement and we're going to slap the franchise tag on him and we're going to do this and do that. If Taylor's is dug in as he says, you trade him. And honestly, this is a bit toxic. And it's wild for me to use that word with Taylor. But you've just got to get rid of him at this point if this is really the stance that he's going to continue to take. You do not want that toxicity in your locker room. You certainly don't want it around Anthony Richardson. You need to do it. You need to move on. See if you can get something of substance from a draft pick standpoint and continue to try and build around him. So, so
0: build around Richardson. Regent Bryan
1: gets on me all the time. Maybe somewhat rightly. I don't know. Saying
0: that. I compare things to the past too much. Fair. but Ursay went a little Marshall Falk Saturday. See, night. here's the thing. I, this is the thing. I go by precedent. Sometimes the precedent's two years ago. Sometimes it's 30 years ago. I'm old enough that I've been around for both. So is Jim Ursay. And Jim Ursa is is keenly aware of all things happening historic within his franchise. And nobody is more aware of, on top of, and, you know, able to chronicle off the top of his head things about this franchise than Jim Irsay. I've seen this movie before. I saw it. Now, Marshall Falk played for a year and then was traded after Manning's rookie year, was traded for a second and a fifth rounder, became Mike Peterson and Brad Scioli. In the the case of a running back that all of a sudden becomes unhappy at camp, threatens a holdout... Then all of a sudden everything's copaesthetic. I've seen this movie before. It starred a guy named Eric Dickerson. He was the he was the lead character in the in the movie, and Eric Dickerson. At first, came out and he was unhappy, and so then he got suspended, and then he came back into camp, and everything was good, and then he started sulking again, saying that like, why am I only getting ten carries when I'm getting one point four million dollars a year? And Eric Dickerson ended up getting suspended, and literally, the Colts had a disastrous season where they went one in fifteen, and as a result of that, they during the one in fifteen was greatly in part due to the due to the fact that. Dickerson was suspended and benched, and he was their best offensive player. But it derailed their season. Jim Irsay has to know that. I realize I'm referencing something from 30-plus years ago, but Jim Ursay was here. Jim Irsay was, I believe at that time, the general manager, if I'm not mistaken, but he was always around the franchise. I can't remember what year his GM tenure ended. But my point being, Kevin, that Ursay has seen it, too. He knows the potential of how this ends which is completely sinking your franchise for the season. The one saving grace for the Colts is I don't know that this season they're worried about wins and losses. Well, they shouldn't be. And they shouldn't be they shouldn't be but they especially now because if you take your best offensive weapon I agree with you. You, you got to you need to uh, immediately nip this in the bud or else you have the potential of the what what franchise in sports Preaches more about culture than the Indianapolis Colts. What franchise in sports preaches more about quality guys and character and and we draft guys we, you know we we always we look at every aspect of it and you know we want good people that represent the horseshoe. If that's the case, then as soon as somebody starts to balk out against that and, and to use your word, show to be toxic, you got to get
1: rid of them. you got to practice what you preach. I didn't get the Falk analogy at all because, it, it, to me, it's not apples to apples, Jake. It, when you traded Falk, you had Tart, Glenn, Marvin, Harrison, and then you just... Well, what he was you, saying... And then you spent the fourth overall pick on edge. What I took that as is him saying...
0: I understand the importance of a great running back to help a quarterback get his footing.
1: Right, but I guess what I'm adding to that is you had some other pieces around Peyton at the time. You you can make the argument, Jake, they don't have other pieces around Correct. Anthony Richardson. Again, Tarek Glenn was drafted... They got a $20 million guard. ...a year before. Marvin Harrison was drafted two years prior. Then you drafted Edge. That is my concern with this. And again, it, it, the, the whole element of last night in the back injury dispute, and for those that missed it, it seemingly was Colts related sources leaking information to some media colleagues in this very market that said that Jonathan Taylor complained of back pain at the physical on opening day so that would have been last Tuesday on report day and that the Colts are contemplating putting him on the non-football injury list which would then toll his contract potentially freeze that contract until next year so he wouldn't get, he wouldn't hit free agency next spring if he weren't able to play this season and that was the news item in about an hour ish probably after that information came out Jonathan Taylor fired back on Twitter saying, never had a back pain, which I don't know if that's the best grammar there. One, never had a back pain. Two, never reported back pain. Not sure who, in quotes, sources are, but find... New ones. I
0: mean, that's always the the retort. well your sources are wrong. Find better sources. Than, okay.
1: So he said, she said, for the umpteenth time here in the last six days, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, all being played out here. How about all my children in West. We'll go with Dale. all my children. I feel like my mom loved Days of Our Lives, The Hourglass.
0: I got I got addicted to General Hospital in college. It was kind of an issue.
1: It does sound like you guys got like a soap opera going on because it sounds like there's like an orc in the background just vacuuming the carpet while the <laughs> while the drama going on.
0: That would be somebody. I don't know what they're or they do they go they're mowing the the dew. Is that what they're doing? They're not mowing the grass. They're well, just sure, drying up.
1: Yeah. You got to mow the grass, man. Come on. The, the, the grass is it's like a it looks literally like the putting green a of a golf course. A, you got to treat like it's Augusta National here. Full pads coming off of the Colts. They have practiced It's not just the Jonathan Taylor drama. They actually have had three practices. If anyone wants to talk about that, I'm sure we can hit on that throughout the show. Good Monday morning to you. As we said to lead off things, it feels awesome on this Monday morning from a temperature standpoint. July 31st, the final day of July, uh, nowhere near the sort of humidity and heat that we had last week. So much better if you're coming out to Grand Park for practice. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, we are live here at Grand Park in Westfield. 93.5, 107.5, Ninety three five one oh seven five the fan.
0: You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan.
2: You just want to be treated fairly. um, And not even treated fairly. You just want to be, you know, appreciated for what you bring to the team. It's never about yourself, it's about the team.
0: It was a good conversation, and, and, uh, you know, I'm hopeful as we go forward. Looking forward to a great season. Hoping Jonathan's a big part of that.
1: Star running back Jonathan Taylor requested a trade.
0: I mean, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor's out of the league, no one's going to. Misses the league goes on. I mean, you know, we know that the national football rolls on. It doesn't matter, you know, who who comes and who goes.
1: That old die comment was really odd. Yeah, that's a bit. Which I guess is odd in Jim Irsay media sessions, for, typically. For in multiple ways, that's a, that's odd some takeaways. Um, yeah, some mashups there from Jim Irsay, mainly Saturday night. Again, he had his RV. Jake, he had it parked right under that tree right there. I'm thinking, did he ask? He clearly asked the owners, right? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I do this in Speedway during the month of May. You guys care <laughs> if I just park this right here? What about uh, the rooster thought? He set up shop right there, and Jonathan Taylor and him spoke for about an hour hour, tweeted out a video clip of Taylor making his exit off the practice field after that conversation, and to say he looked disappointed, mad, frustrated, all the above would be an understatement, and then, what, about 20 minutes later... The report came out of his trade request, something that Jim Mercey said will not be honored, not now, not in October. The Another layer to this storyline happened late last night. Everything seems to be happening late at night. I guess that's when people are most active on social media. Uh, But the Colts mentioning that Taylor, I assume the Colts, I should say, leaking this information to some local media members that uh, Taylor had a back issue and failed the physical last Tuesday and that means he could go on the non-football injury list and that means the Colts would not have to pay him here for 2023. Taylor was adamant that uh, that is not true and took Twitter last night to say that he did not report any back pain and that those people should get uh, or should check their sources. The the dangerous place here, Kevin, For Jonathan
0: Taylor is this You know I've been in. I I think most people have Okay I think most people have been in situations In their workplace at some point Where they feel they are Underappreciated Or they feel that somewhere else Someone above them or someone parallel to them Is getting better Treatment or or getting You know getting a a promotion They should have gotten whatever it might be think most people at some point in their life can relate to that and that's a difficult thing to overcome quite frankly you know I, I think I've been in situations and admittedly I mean open disclaimer it's not currently but in my past I've been in situations from a work standpoint where I felt like you know they were bringing in people for interviews for a position just above me that I had applied for internally, and I'm like, what's going on here? Why am I not getting... And like on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'd go to bed at night like thinking I was getting completely screwed, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was like, you know what, I have a job, and and, and I enjoy that, so that's cool. I mean, it's a tough place psychologically. I think most people can relate to that in their work in some point, shape, or form. If Jonathan Taylor has... Whether it's he himself or his agent, but if he has it planted somewhere I- inside of him that he is getting slighted by this franchise or other people are getting their due and he's not getting what's owed to him, that's a, and I'm not saying that he's wrong. But that's a tough thing to to come back from. And, you know, maybe it is that three days a week that's how he feels, and the other, I don't know. But as soon as you plant that in your mind, it is a tough, tough thing to overcome. And what the Colts need to decide now, Kevin, is whether or not that dissatisfaction from Jonathan Taylor can – have ripple effect by hurting the rest of the locker room. Remember
1: uh, Ursay's initial tweet about this thing last week and referencing um, you know, bad faith from agents, I think was the end of that tweet. There was a lot more to what that he said. And I remember on the uh, show right after that tweet was sent out, I said that this might sound ridiculous, but I think that tweet was more of Ursay defending the shield. More of him on this power trip league-wide. More on this, the owners have got to band together. We've got to stand strong. We've got to back the collective bargaining agreement. All of those things. And I think that is something that continues to be at play here. Tim asked this, and I think it's a great question. Is there a school of thought that even if Ballard was willing to negotiate with Taylor, Ursay would not want to buck the running back value set by his fellow owners, a la what Jimmy Haslam, the Browns owner, did with Deshaun Watson? Uh, yes. Yes, I, I, I think that is at play here, that that is some of what Ursae is doing. Jake, what I find interesting about it is by Ursa doing this, he's admitting his GM has failed. He's admitting his GM's blueprint is wrong. Because why draft him in round two? Why trade up for him in round two? That is an admittance of you were wrong. And and, if the Colts thought they were in a Super Bowl mindset in 2020, that is a ridiculous thing to think that Phillip Rivers was going to take this team to the Super Bowl. And certainly that's not how you draft. You, you, you don't, When you're a team coming off a missed playoff appearance from the year before, you'd won seven games. You're not drafting in that sort of mindset. Um, so that, I think, is something that last year, Ballard's own blueprint, the offensive line failed. Now, with this decision, it's failed again. When is enough enough? That's a
0: fair question. I, I, I The other failure to me, Kevin, that comes into play here, and I'm going to repeat what I said earlier, but I truly believe this. Jonathan Taylor is, life's about timing. In most circumstances, life's about timing. And in Jonathan Taylor's case, the timing... Did not fall his way. And by that I mean, when the Colts drafted Jonathan Taylor, yes, you are correct, Kevin, that I don't think anybody thought Phillip Rivers was the long-term answer here. But I think that Chris Ballard, Jim Irsay, at that time Frank Reich, you know, they were under the assumption that drafting Jonathan Taylor, that they were probably going to be able to go out and get... Either A, they were going to draft a quarterback and develop him, and that was going to be on par, the timing was, with Jonathan Taylor's rise. And you were going to have two guys kind of you know learning and in their prime together. Or B, they were going to be able to go out and spend to get a free agent, big splash quarterback that was going to be the anchor here for, at minimum, a half dozen years. And that's where, and I'm not saying it's entirely Chris Ballard's fault, that Carson Wentz was the guy that they opted for because it kind of fell into play for them. But I do think that when they brought in Carson Wentz, they were under the assumption that Carson Wentz was going to be the quarterback here for a number of years leading into the prime of Jonathan Taylor. And it's not Jonathan Taylor's fault that that was a total miscalculation in terms of the personality of Carson Wentz more than anything else. And, you know, Wentz comes in, he gets hurt right away, he was just kind of aloof, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but he was, something just missed, something was off, and it totally reshuffled the blueprint. They literally, they went to like blueprint number three, and had to reshuffle the deck, and that unfortunately then made Jonathan Taylor completely expendable because no longer were you in need of a running back that was going to be entering his prime with a quarterback at the same time. Now you've completely started over. They've completely started over. And the entire focus one, 1A, two, 2B, and three. Right now for the Indianapolis Colts are Anthony Richardson, Richardson, comma Anthony, uh, AR5, quarterback out of Florida, and rookie QB. Those are the priorities of the Indianapolis Colts right now. So Jonathan Taylor comes to them and goes, hey, I, I got a problem here. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. You were the guy that at one time was part of our, our-, our massive build.
1: But shouldn't support for Richardson be atop that list? I that, agree with that. that that's just that, I, that doesn't add up to me. I, I agree with that. What but are that, you using this money on? You're sitting that, on that support, million Kevin, in cap space. If you,
0: I, I understand that. But if you are the Colts, you're looking at it and you're going, "Look, we can commit big money to this guy, but why do that when he's under contract for this year and then we franchise tag him next year and it's still it, you're getting it like 10 million? He wants 16 million a year. We're not doing it. We we, we have. The Colts have him dead to rights, and Jonathan Taylor has zero leverage. What's his leverage? That the
1: Colts tra- aren't good. I understood, and but what's it, a rookie quarterback But
0: what's his leverage? His leverage is if they you don't support. if you don't play me, then what? I'm going to hold out. Okay, then we won't pay you. So. I'm sorry, if you don't pay me, I'm going to hold out. Okay, then we won't pay or play you. Where Where is he going to go? What what franchise? Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful player. Do not get me wrong. He's a great player, but he means more to the Colts than he would at most franchises. And those other franchises, like I said before, running backs, man, not only are they a dime a dozen, but there's two of them that are nice 50-cent pieces that are sitting right there for anybody to just go in and buy off the shelf without having to give up any assets to get them.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to ask that to Stephen Holder come up here at nine because I do believe clearly the Taylor camp and, and you know his agent beyond childish with his social media presence, but I think the Taylor camp clearly believes there is a team out there that is willing to pay him. The question that becomes this: willing to pay and give the Colts some sort of trade package that is? Wouldn't you just pay Dalvin Cook respectable? Again, I, I think Taylor is a younger, better player than than Dalvin Cook. Um, but to your point, Jake, if you look at that 2024 free agency class with with running backs, I mean it is filled with names. Um, now, again, I, I think you could make the argument Taylor might be the best of that group, but given the price tag that he potentially is asking for, that's a fair question. We'll take some calls on this from you guys. 317-239-1070. Your thoughts on the Jonathan Taylor situation. Jake, the other thing I wanted to mention in relation to Saturday night. Ursay has that media scrum. I'm walking up there with Mike Chappell back to the media center afterwards. I say to Chap, there is no chance Jonathan Taylor is here beyond 2023 after hearing that. But the other thought that I had was, you need to, right now, hand Michael Pittman a contract extension. Right now. Do it today because if you all of a sudden go into next year and you say to Anthony Richardson, hey, man, here's Zach Moss, Alec Pearson, Mo Alley-Cox. Good luck. Those are your top three skill guys. Where is the support for him? Right. Again, when you drafted Richardson, what did you say? You made a commitment to major development. That's what you said with that pick. You said, here is a clay that we have got to mold, but we have got to do our part in supporting him. Because I'd make the argument, and again, it's a different scenario, but I'd make the argument the Colts have failed in support for Rivers, failed in support of Wentz, failed in support of Ryan. Now, those guys didn't do their part, and I should say mostly Wentz and and, uh, Ryan, but the Colts haven't done their part either on the other end of that. And so... If you are going to let Jonathan Taylor walk, which obviously by all accounts it is seemingly what the Colts are going to do, you have got to extend and what it's going to look like an overpay and I don't care. You've got to retain Michael Pittman or else you are handing Anthony Richardson. You're making him walk into a kitchen with one of the barest cupboards you've ever seen. And again, I go back to precedent. Jim
0: Irsay's seen that precedent. Jim Irsay, no one references the historical archive of this franchise more than Jim Irsay and understands it. He's been around it from the time that he was 10 years old and was packing bags in the locker room. No one references it and uses that as a database more than Jim Irsay. And Jim Irsay knows two things. He knows the history of an unhappy running back through camp and what it did to his season and he knows the history of a quarterback that was brought in with all the tools and no weapons and how disastrous it was
1: so he knows both and that's part of the predicament Tanner says this JT's leverage is he's the best player on the team regardless of position I don't disagree
0: when I say his leverage what I'm saying is his leverage elsewhere like his his marketability elsewhere I totally agree I understand where Jonathan Taylor is coming from 100% in terms of saying to the Colts like, look man what do you want me to do here what, what what is the issue? What do you want? What more do you want me to do? I get that, but unfortunately for him, unfortunately for him, Jonathan Taylor is the most loyal spouse ever, and there's marital issues, and so he is saying like, look, if you don't, if he just you just got don't married by the way, Jonathan did Taylor. he this off season? Yeah, okay, congrats. Um, but what I'm saying, but the spouse is saying like, well, who else is like? Nobody else is going to date. Every every
1: other person in the neighborhood's happily married. So good luck. Like, there's nowhere for him to go. Mike goes, maybe Ursay's following the Falk Edge history and making this AR's team. I, I just don't think past precedent of Falk and Edge applies here because, again, Tarek Glenn, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne are not on this football team. You, well, you, you, you don't have the answer well, at left tackle. With, you, you you don't have this second-year wideout that is going to be an eventual Hall of Famer like Marvin Harrison. Kevin, where he
0: erred with the Falk, Edrin, James comment was Ursay was simply trying to point out that it is true that a good running game offers stability for a young quarterback. And he was just simply pointing out, hey... You know, Peyton had Falk in the beginning and then Edrin. So we always had the running back position stable for him, which allowed him stability. That's what he was trying to point out there. And people took that as him talking about the fact that Falk had been traded and and thinking that that was a trade comment. But what's interesting about the comment is Ursay there in the negotiation, if you will, was essentially fueling the fire that Jonathan Taylor's if I'm Jonathan Taylor's agent, I've got that comment plastered on poster board. See? You yourself are saying that for a, a quarterback to get footing early in his career, he needs a solid running back. I
1: mean, yep. yeah. yeah. He was uh, talking out both sides of his mouth. Totally. 100%. Um, let's take some callers. Mark, uh, just queue up whoever you want to start with here. Alright, let's start uh, with George. George. Morning, George.
3: Hey, good morning, fellas. Uh, Great uh, gr- gr- great show, unfortunate topic we have to talk about. Uh,
1: so yeah, first, I think that's uh, pretty well said.
3: Yeah. I uh, just want to share a thought on Ballard and then share a couple of things I disagree with Jake on. First off, y'all have mentioned it. Like So many of these problems start with the root cause and the why of Ballard not having done his job in the past and were not set up for success in the future. He should have never have been retained. Where I disagree with Jake on JT is he he doesn't have leverage. He's coming off of an injury-plagued season where he underproduced. There's a market where running backs aren't getting the money. Why does he think he is going to be the one to set that bar?
0: George, I begin.
3: George. Ursa would have this stance no matter who the quarterback was, whether it's Richardson, Rivers, it, 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 all the it's quarterbacks they had over the years, years, he's not going to give in, give in no, matter, no what.
0: matter what. Well, first off, I, I, you might have misunderstood me. I, I don't think that I've said that Jonathan Taylor had any. Le- I, I, I believe I said he has zero leverage, right? I mean, so I'm in agreement with you there. I think he's a wonderful player for the Colts. I think he's an he's a great player, but I think he has more value to the Colts than he does elsewhere, and that's what I'm saying. When I say leverage, I mean his threat to, like, demand a trade. Uh, if you're the Colts, you're like, well, dude, who are we going to trade you to? So, I, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. You know, you're, you're a running back coming off an ankle. You're on the physically unable to perform list for crying out loud. He is a key part of what the Colts offensively have schematically designed. I don't know that that translates
1: league-wide. Jake, the Christian McCaffrey trade last year at the trade deadline um, was obviously the Panthers sending him to the 49ers. The 49ers sent back a second, a third, and a fourth round pick in what ended up being the 2023 draft, and then also a fifth rounder here in 2024. When you look at that trade package, and again, McCaffrey was under contract for, I think it was three more years, he obviously brings a presence on third down. I do also think you can make the argument that McCaffrey's had more injury history than Taylor. I know Taylor's coming off the ankle situation, but I think McCaffrey had a little bit more injury history than Taylor. When you look at that, Jake, second, third, fourth, and a fifth, how do you think that would compare to a Jonathan Taylor potential trade? I, I think Taylor right now, again, wonderful player,
0: but coming off an ankle injury, coming off a, what, 800-yard season, and going into a market... Where not only is the running back being devalued, but two of the more productive ones in the last handful of years are sitting there right now for teams, if they so choose to get a running back, to, to get without having to give up assets to get them. So I, I just don't know. So knock off
1: the third, fourth, and fifth? Do you think you'd get a second rounder for him? Taylor? Yeah. I think you get a sixth round pick for him. A sixth round pick for Jonathan Taylor. Maybe a fifth.
0: A fifth or sixth round pick. That would be my guess.
1: Yeah, I I would think you you could. Now you're gonna need multiple teams that are gonna be willing to bid. But even if he's a one year rental, Jake, I think you could get more than that. I mean, if you're a Super Bowl win now team, you wouldn't give up a fourth round pick and think it's a one year rental for him. Uh, okay, I mean the four, but but third rounder My
0: point like being, like people that think that he's gonna be parlay into like a first, like a big time. I'll put it to you this way, okay? You for the most part, Kevin, the law of averages. And would dictate that Jonathan Taylor's trade value right now in terms of a draft pick would be that you would be trading a guy that has been your most productive offensive player and you are now in a position where you would be trading him for somebody who comes in and if, based on the law of averages on that draft spot, you are bringing in a guy that is probably a special teams player and spot fill in every down player a fourth if you want to say fourth that's cool but fourth to sixth you know you're going to trade Jonathan Taylor and at best you're going to draft another EJ Speed. He's a good player, don't get me wrong. Good player. But Jonathan Taylor is there is the Colts trading Jonathan Taylor to the Colts, I would think, is not very intriguing or appealing except for the fact that you are getting rid of what now, and that's what the Colts have to determine. You have, the Colts have to determine whether or not this situation is becoming too toxic to move forward with. And quite frankly, the Colts are starting to lose benefit of the doubt on their ability to assess what is and is not detrimental or positive for their franchise. Yeah, I think one thing the
1: Colts need to do, and it's a harsh reality of the business, though, I think you wait for the big running back camp injury. Yeah. that's Who's who's the running back that tears his ACL? Right. Who's the running back that goes down for quite a while? I think if that were to occur, then maybe that increases a little bit of trade value you'd have. And obviously, the thing that you want more than any is for two teams to view Taylor in the light of, we want him, and we're willing to give him a multi-year deal. And that is seemingly... Not something that, given the running back market value, that would be too abundant. But, but, Kevin, I'm going to go back to, and I know that I'm harping on this,
0: but you tell me why, okay? If you are, give me a name. Give me, give me a team off the top of your head. Uh, the Titans. Tennessee Titans. Well, I mean, they have Derrick Henry. Okay, so Derrick Henry gets hurt, right? So if you're the Tennessee Titans and you feel like you're running back away this year and Derrick Henry goes down and and – Dalvin Cook is sitting there, and you give up nothing for him other than a contract for a year. Why would you trade? Why would you give up future assets? Or for that matter, Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm, I'm in agreement. I'm not a huge fan of Ezekiel Elliott. But he is a guy that has productivity in the NFL and, and knows the game. Either of those two guys, wh- wh- if you're going to get 80% of the production that Jonathan Taylor gives you, and in the case of Cook, it's probably 90%. If you're going to get that but give up
1: zero to get him, why would you trade? Well, I think you look at Taylor and say he's 24 years old. He's great off the field. He's but if you're only getting him for a year as a rental. but That's the thing. If you're going to trade for him, obviously you 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 have to think in the multi-year sense. And you would have to, of course, do that behind the scenes. And we'll see if the Colts will even let uh, you know Taylor's team do that. But when now teams do things really hungry? I mean, a lot of people, I think, questioned San Francisco's trade last year for Christian McCaffrey with that price. Now, obviously, it didn't work out for San Francisco, and certainly some injuries at quarterback contributed to that, but they made a run in the playoffs, but you would be thinking in a very win-now mode, which, again, is not something that we've thought about in this market for quite some time, so it's probably very foreign to us, Jake, to even think about such an idea, but if you are viewing this as a we are ready, we are pushing for it, we are feel like we're just one piece away and you have multiple third-round picks, multiple second-round picks for next year, you might say, all right, we'll do it, and... Maybe we'll throw the franchise tag on him. Or we think our environment will create a little bit of a happier Jonathan Taylor and we'll throw out a multi-year deal for two Something like that. That would be, I think, some of the thought process.
0: Kevin, you tell me if I'm being too critical here. Okay? Because I do have an ability sometimes to be too cynical and too critical. So I need you to be my voice of reason. Maybe, maybe people listening can text me or tweet me and tell me if they think I'm being too unreasonable here with this statement. Of the pro franchises that I have covered in my lifetime, and college, they all do this to an extent. They all do it to an extent. But I don't know that anybody does it more than the Colts. And that is, preach the importance of character as a priority when assessing and bringing in talent. Okay? And the fact that camaraderie, chemistry, and overall character are important things. And by no... I have no reason to believe that Jonathan Taylor is a bad person. I, I think he's getting bad advice, for sure. But, for a franchise that seems to preach that more than any other, there always seems to be drama. For the last 10 years, there's just... there seems to be consistent drama. I Whether it be... And with Andrew Luck, I don't think it was necessarily malcontent as much as health. Carson Wentz, it was probably a little bit of both. You know, now Jonathan Taylor. I mean, it's, we're not talking about, like, third-string defensive backs. I mean, we're talking about primary players. What's going on where every year there seems to be – maybe – Maybe this is the case with every franchise. That's entirely possible. I don't cover the Arizona Cardinals. I don't cover the Denver Broncos. I don't cover the the New York Jets. But am I wrong, Kevin, in saying that there seems to be an unusual balance between the
1: profess of character and chemistry and actual drama? Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. No, I think it's a great point. I do. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like the so are the days oh, of our, days our, lives. our lives. How about that teamwork, Mark Dike? That sounds
0: like 1960, by the way.
1: 19, Mark, that was beautiful. 1972. You were all over that, Mark. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that off air. That was absolutely beautiful.